It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I'm here once again with Isha Das, Craig Bullock from the Assisi Institute. Um, welcome, Craig. It's wonderful to have you again. Great to be with you, Ryan, and it's great to be with all of your friends. Yeah, yeah. And today we're doing something a little different. Um, we're doing the podcast for the first time in front of a, a live online audience. So as we go, as we discuss um, with Isha Das, uh, we'll be able to have questions submitted to us from the audience, but most of those we'll take at the end. Um, so today, uh, what I wanted to discuss was this idea of yours of wrestling with God, this new podcast that you've been doing. Um, so before we get into talking about the podcast specifically, what I would like to know is what inspired you to, to do this podcast? Well, as always, that's a good question to, to begin with. In my experience, both as a psychotherapist and as a spiritual teacher, what I have come to recognize is a pattern. And I see it strongly, I'll say, in the 40 and, and younger ages. And what the pattern is, and there's two extremes. Some people were raised in very rigid, fundamentalistic-like uh, religions, Christianity, Catholicism. And so they, they've rejected that, understandably. Yet there's some longing for a connection with the divine, a spiritual path but they really don't know how to go about it. And then there's another group who I see maybe more in my counseling practice where they don't really have any real psychological problems. They have what I call uh, existential dilemmas. And, and typically what it's like is that they weren't raised with any religion, any grounding, and, and, they're, and they're kind of flailing in the world, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, and often looking for it in all the wrong places. So I thought about how, how can we talk about God? How can I talk about God with people, the divine, the spiritual life, in a way that speaks to younger people, in a way that can integrate science, uh, that can integrate psychology, can integrate mythology, can integrate yoga, and all of the spiritual or mystical paths. So that's kind of the inspiration behind it. Okay. And um, when, you, when you address this idea of, of wrestling with God, you know, that, that brings up the first question, which is, uh, what are we talking about when we're, when we're talking <laughs> about God? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's funny, I had a conversation with a, a young woman yesterday who I would say she's allergic to the word God. Every time I brought it up, it was like, you know, it was like, please don't talk about God. Right. So what I'd like to say is, well, I'll put it in this context. I had a conversation many years ago with a, a woman. She was a lawyer. I was giving a workshop for business people on meditation. And I mentioned the word God once during the whole talk. And she came up to me and she said, well, you know, I don't believe in God. And my response to her was, the God that you say doesn't exist probably doesn't exist. <laughs> and she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, well, most people, they have this concept of God as a superhero in the sky, a demigod, a mother or father figure sitting on a throne up in the heavens. And, and that's symbolic language. And that God doesn't exist in any sort of literal way. So that begs the question, well, what do you mean by God? And what I'd like to do is go to what I've learned in the East and particularly in the yogic and Hindu tradition and the whole concept of Satchitananda, that, that the absolute, God is a word we use for the absolute, and the absolute is beingness itself, existence itself. That's, that's Sat. 
and that God is the absolute is consciousness, this universal sea of consciousness. And my individual consciousness and your individual consciousness is a wave in the ocean of that consciousness. And then Ananda is that this absolute is experienced as bliss or blissful love. And, and I find that people really can resonate with that kind of formulation. Again, any any words we use to describe the absolute is going to fall short of the mark. But because we're human beings and, and language is so important to us and symbols are so important, we have to find a portal into that. Right, right. And the idea of, of wrestling with that, the absolute or th- this idea of love, well, when you describe it that way, it doesn't seem like there, there's really much to wrestle with. Um, <laughs> but, but I know, and you know, and many people know that when we, when we live in the world, uh, that we come up against things that we, we ask, you know, wh- how could this happen? What is this all about? How does this fit in? And, um, you know, that's a really hard, that's a really hard place to be because there really isn't any definitive, obvious, objective for for everyone answers to this. Yeah. So, so how do you how do you how do you help people to to grasp that? Well, one of the things I, I like about your teaching, and I am answering your question. One of the things, Ryan, I like about your teaching is that you keep it very real, and. I know that you have experienced suffering. I know that you have experienced, you know, various levels of the dark night of the soul. And that's a real existential reality. And if we, if we try to gloss it over with platitudes, it doesn't work. People are too honest. People, are, people know. They suffer. They see the craziness in the world. But a, a more direct answer is what I say to people is, if I could explain human suffering perfectly, I would write a bestseller book um, right. and retire to Assisi, Italy with my wife. <laughs> right. So I, I don't pretend to be able to explain in any sort of uh, complete way the reality of suffering. And it would be, I would be disingenuous if I tried to. However, what I say to people is, so I say that, yes, suffering is real. Uh, but so is grace. Mm-hmm. And you can't dismiss grace any more than you can suffering. You can't dis- dis- dismiss that that there is a deep meaning to life and there are levels of consciousness that are real. And so it's maybe holding those two polarities in a creative tension. Suffering is real. I can't entirely explain it. And yet, so is Satchitananda, so is grace. Right. So is this presence that permeates everything. And if one keeps a foot in that presence, it's much easier to navigate through the darkness and the suffering with wisdom and with grace. Right. Uh, you know, I've had this spiritual mentor my whole life, my whole adult life, uh, Richard Royce, a Franciscan priest. And I remember this was before there was internet and he wrote me a card and at the PS and the card, I still think about this probably once a week. He said, uh, carry your wounds gracefully and having a sense of the absolute, the divine, however you want to describe it helps us to navigate again through that suffering with wisdom and with grace. Right. And I know that you probably cover a lot of this or will be as you move through um, your podcast, uh, Wrestling with God, which we'll, uh, we'll share a link in the, the comment section. And also we'll talk about at the end. Um, one thing that I'm curious about, number one, is how would you recommend people? Uh, what's the right word? How would you recommend that they wrestle with God in a constructive way? That's my first question. I'm just, I'm just throwing these out there so I remember them. So how, how would you recommend to encourage people to wrestle with God in a constructive way? And then number two, you know, one of the difficulties I've had in life is that oftentimes when I'm in that dark area or the, the, the dark grace, as you described it in a previous podcast that when we had you on, um, I often really have an extremely hard time remembering uh, the, the, the light grace, you know, it's right. like once I get in that that space of of the dark area, the dark grace. Well, I, I can't even 
I can't even imagine the light grace. Uh, but, but when I'm in the space of, of, of positivity and what I, what you would call a light grace, it's easy for me to remember the potential. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Well, there's there's two questions there. So let me, let me deal with the first one and then we'll get to dark grace. Cause I, I think how we deal with that is really at some level where the rubber hits the road, but let me go to the first part of your question what I like to tell people is that God is not a proposition to believe in or not. That just keeps it at a heady level. It keeps it um, at an intellectual, conceptual level that doesn't take people very far. So what I like to say is that the word God points to a consciousness that is meant to be lived. All right, so what what does that mean? Uh, And I'll use my relationship with my wife as an example. I can know about her. I can have my perspective on her, my wife, Vicki Jo. But it's only by participating in her life that I really know her in, in an experiential sense, you know, being with her family, being with her in her ups and downs, mostly it's, it's by far it's ups, but it is, it, it's an experiential knowing. So let me translate that to spirituality is I tell people, if you stay on the sidelines and try to figure it out, you're never going to figure it out, anything out. That you have to begin with some kind of practice. Start meditating whether you think that there's a higher power or not. Pray, live your life according to the yamas and the niyamas really endeavor to live the spiritual life and it be typically will become more alive. Um, there's a psychologist that I like and his, his statement is, I don't know if I believe in God, but I'd live as though God is real. <laughs> I live my life as though God is real. And, and in that way, then the spiritual life becomes real. So that's, you know, the first part, the answer to the first part of your question. Um, the whole thing of dark grace, we're all going to have moments in our life where there's dark grace. And I guess I have two thoughts that, that it, at least help me through my periods of dark grace. One is to stay faithful to whatever rituals and disciplines I have. So meditate when... I'm in darkness and meditate when I'm in the light, so to speak. But I I think the other thing in a a very concrete way is, and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, but having people in your life who will love you and support you and just be present during the periods of dark grace. Um, You know, I, I, I'm so grateful to have my wife, Vicki, because when I go through periods of dark grace, she's just there. And she doesn't try to solve it for me, but she loves me. Um, She helps me with some self-understanding, but that's part of what sustains me. And even, you know, I get buoyed every time I talk to you. Um, So having spiritual family that you can be connected with even virtually uh, if, if that's how it's going to unfold, is partly how we get through the, the periods of dark grace. I remember something from your own story when your wife was ill and, and dying, how Roy came to visit the two of you. And I'm sure that his presence in that moment was light grace in the dark grace. Yes, very much, very much. Yeah, and um, one Talking about spiritual family, this this brings up uh, a little bit of a, a side conversation. Um, many people seem to want to have uh, the, the, their their family members or their spiritual family. Really, we'll just say family. Okay, it can be spiritual, it can be normal, it can be whatever it is. Um, to always agree with them on how they see things, on how right. they. How, how they perceive situations. And, you know, when I think about Roy, you know, our, our, our Kriya yoga teacher, Mr. Davis, um, while I got along with him beautifully, 
there were definitely situations where I thought to myself, well, that's not how I would do it. Um, but that didn't push me away from him. Um, and so I guess my question is, um, when it comes to the, the family that we have around us spiritually or, or our supportive family, which is not involved in our same practices, um, how do you uh, recommend that people appreciate what is there while letting go of, or not necessarily letting go of, but not getting too hung up on those areas where there are differences because it's okay to have differences in perspective, right? Right. So let me kind of give first a psychological perspective and then maybe a more spiritual perspective. The psychological perspective is if everybody was like us, looked like us, acted like us, then that would do nothing but feed our narcissism. <laughs> the fact that people are different from us, I think, is actually uh, it's 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 uh, it's a catalyst for growth because uh, then you have to learn to accept people and love people as they are. So that that's sort of my psychological take. My my spiritual take is is simple and maybe even childlike. I just assume that the the important people in my life are meant to be in my life just as they are. And, and there's something freeing about that, that, um, you know, Yogananda said it, that there's room for everybody in the world. And who am I to, to you know, impose my reality on people as to how they should be, particularly in reference to me and my spiritual practices? So, you know, I, I, whether it's Mr. Davis or, or Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest that I mentioned, I do things differently than they do things. But that doesn't minimize the light and the grace that they bring into the world or into my life. Right. And right. so I, I think it's being able to be at peace with, with that discomfort and to see it from a much bigger perspective. Otherwise, spirituality just becomes an echo chamber, which is then pretty narcissistic. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, that helps out a good bit. Um, the reason I the reason I asked this is because uh, this morning I got an email uh, from one of my students, and I thought, you know, I'd like to talk this over with someone else who might happen to be in the situation like I am sometimes, um, which is you. So thank you for being here. <laughs> but, <laughs> But the, the, the email essentially went that um, the, the student had some negative reactions to how it seemed like I saw life. You know, for example, um, I've, I've told the story that when, my, when Melissa was passing, that um, I had meditated upon why would all this happen? And what came booming into my mind was uh, this voice that said, so you'll learn this isn't real. Or sometimes I refer to my personality as though I know it's not it's not permanent. It's fake. It's not really right. who I am. Um, and uh, the idea that I perceive the world more as an illusion. And uh, he, the student goes on to say that um, it seems like if I was offered the chance to reincarnate again, I probably wouldn't because I'm sort of over it. <laughs> but, but then they go on to say that, you know, they deeply love their family. They find lots of joy in things. And, and obviously, I want to have a discussion with them about, you know, I never said don't love your family and don't have joy in things. But the reason I'm pulling all this up is because I'm curious um, when it comes to, um, again, this idea of the people that are supportive of you, how, how do you uh, appreciate or, or how do you allow in uh, the support that is there? And then also reconciling where there are these differences in, in, in life experience or perception, because for this, whole, this whole email just makes me think, well, obviously, we've had different life experiences. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> Again, I, I, I sort of have two different answers, but I, I think they're complementary. So let me just, first of all, just talk about my, my Thanksgiving. We, you and I talked about that briefly yeah. before, we, before we went live. So Vicki and I had approximately 18 people in our house for Thanksgiving. And it's mostly her family. We had a couple of people from the Assisi Institute who were here, but it's mostly their family. And her family, I mean, they're wonderful spiritual people in their own way, but they're not into Kriya Yoga or mystical Christianity per se or anything like that. 
And they don't call me Ishadas, which is the spiritual name that, you know, Swami Nirvanananda gave me. It's what people at the Rishisi Institute refer to me as Ishadas. They call me Craig and they treat me like I'm a Craig, like I'm not a spiritual teacher. You know, I'm, and you know what? I find that refreshing. <laughs> it's like, okay, whew, uh, you know, and they love me for who I am, and I love them for who I am. It's at a certain level, but it's refreshing, and it's part of what keeps me healthy and grounded and, and humble. So that's that's one answer. The, the other answer is, is, again, I'll just quote Richard Rohr. Uh, he said this to me a long time ago. He said, if, if God and the people in your life don't occasionally throw you a curveball and disturb you and upset you, then you're probably out of touch with God. So, you know, uh, again, there were th there are things that Richard says and does, and I say, uh, uh, or you know, there are things that Roy Eugene Davis did that would tick me off. Just to, I'm just being completely honest. But then again, I go back to they're in my life for a purpose, and and that this discomfort is this irritation is probably doing something good. So it's, and I want to address this whole thing about life being an illusion or a dream. It is a dream, but that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to enjoy the dream. We just don't get attached to it. You know, again, sitting at our Thanksgiving table and, and it really was a wonderful Thanksgiving. And my wife does, does a great job of making it a celebration and, you know, big Italian, mostly Italian family, everybody's talking at the same time and, you know, and all kinds of converse, passionate conversations going on. And I just took all that in and I just said, this is a beautiful moment. And yet the next moment, I'm not going to hang on to it the next moment or the next day to try to recreate it. This is this in this moment, in this dream, this moment of the dream, it's good. I'm free to enjoy that without clutching and grabbing onto it. And for me, that's that, that walking that razor's edge is that, yes, this is a dream, but who says we can't enjoy the dream so long as we recognize that it's a dream. Right. And didn't you? you know, all, all dreams end. Yes, yes that's for sure. <laughs> didn't you, <laughs> didn't you uh, quote Ramana Maharshi when we were up in Rochester together having dinner? Didn't you, there was some, I had never, I'd never read it myself, but you said something like, um, yeah, one of his disciples, I think it was, uh, I always get the name wrong, Papaji, is that what they call him? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and Papaji was living in the part of India that was becoming Pakistan. Okay. And he had a Hindu background. And, and Ramana said to him, would be good to take your family from what's going to be Pakistan into India. It's better for the Hindu, it'll be better for the Hindus in India. Mm -hmm. They'll be safer. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but it's it's the, it's the essence of the story. And and Papaji said, "Well, all of this is a dream, right? So why does it matter?" And then Ramana, who is you know he's one of my spiritual heroes, said, "Yes, but if you have the choice to choose a good dream, you choose a good dream." <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of my my favorite quotes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And again, you just don't get attached to the dream because you realize it's a dream and it's going to end, but yet you enjoy the dream and you realize that the dream is a gift in its own way, but you just don't get attached to it. Right, right. And so, you know, that, that kind of brings us back to the idea again, the, the theme um, of, of wrestling with God. And I, I've, I've, I've thought about that, that title that you chose for that podcast and um you know, it always seems to me that part of what we're doing with our meditation and our spiritual practice is learning to use some words you used previously to kind of walk this razor's edge. Yeah. And, and, you know, many people, it's like, they want to, they want to keep gliding in a particular direction when really that's kind of, in a sense, putting you on autopilot. Yes. And, and that doesn't really work. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I well, I, I said this, I did actually did a podcast with my oldest son, Nick. It'll be out this Wednesday. Um, It'll be out. I, that'll be, let me, because this will this will come out a little later. So let me get the date so people can go check for that. So that'll be December 1st that it's coming December out? December 1st, yeah. It'll, December it'll be 1st, out. 2021. Yeah. Yes. Okay. 
And one of the things I, I said to him is, God is not an aspirin that takes away all of our pain. <laughs> um, and, and to put it in the context of what you're talking about, I think that there's a subtle seduction in yoga. And again, yoga is my life, so I don't mean this as a criticism. But there's a subtle seduction maybe in the way people interpret, you know, the teachings of Kriya Yoga, for example. And the subtle seduction is, oh, if I embark on this path, <laughs> then it's going to be nothing but, you know, peace and bliss the whole way. And I think you're right that that, that can become uh, a sleepy kind of mechanical unconsciousness. And yes, there is great peace, and you can have the peace that surpasses all understanding, but that doesn't mean that there won't be friction within, within a greater consciousness. And I actually, my own experience is, is that the soul doesn't really begin, that friction is one of the ways that the soul unfolds in our life, that if there aren't challenges periodically, if there, if there aren't difficulties, then the soul doesn't completely blossom into our awareness. Yeah. And another follow-up on that, again, some, some people listening may or may not be able to relate to this, and that's wonderful if they can. But, you know, as the years have gone on uh, and I've talked to more people, you know, I've kind of recognized and realized that um, this friction that you're talking about, it's, it, it happens often for many people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can seem like that friction is nonstop. Like it's just like the words I would use would be relentless. It's like once you get done with one obstacle, all of a sudden, bam, there's another one and bam, there's another one. Now, that's not always true, but often it happens. And so I guess uh, my question to you is working with the individuals as you have over all these years. Um, what do you say or how do you how do you address that when people are like, yes, but it, when will it ever stop? Because it doesn't seem like it is sometimes. Um, I say it never, never going to stop. No. <laughs> and and uh, it, don't misunderstand me. There are, there are different periods in people's lives. You know, there are periods when everything just clicks easily, whether it's your health, whether it's finances, relationships. And then there are periods where everything doesn't click. And it's having some level of acceptance that those cycles, as long as we're in the body, are going to be perpetual. Uh, and, and there's something about accepting it and not resisting it that creates a space so that you can go through it with more grace. If I say that, you know, I'm, just to use a real simple example, if I say I'm not supposed to have a flat tire, then having the flat tire is going to be more irritating than if I just say, all right, I will be done as you wish. This is just, this is just part of the gig. And maybe there's even something to learn from it, like to take better care of my car or something. But I think just a radical acceptance that there are going to be these cycles of plenty and then cycles of famine, metaphorically speaking, and just some level of acceptance and that, and that they're unfolding in the context of divine providence, that everything is grist for the mill, that nothing happens to us, it all happens for us. And it's all meant to, to again, to birth the unfolding of the Atman, the soul, that divine spark in our lives. Right. Um, and I, I, you know, there's even a story with Yogananda and when he was in America and well-established that it, he said at the end of the month when bills came due, <laughs> He would think wistfully of India where the gurus, where the disciples took care of the guru. The guru wasn't taking care of the disciples. So, you know, it didn't end for Yogananda. So why should we think, or it didn't end for Jesus. Why should we think it's going to end for us? Well, that's, that's a good question. And that's my next question <laughs> is, <laughs> is uh, you know, you, you are a trained psychologist, correct? Right. Yeah. And uh, I've thought about this a lot. And you know, one of the things that I've been, contemplating, aiming to try to find a way to express is, you know, there are people in the world who are, they're all about the adventure, 
They're all about the challenge. You know, if they get challenged, you're like, great. Let's see, let's see what we can do, how this can make me stronger. And, you know, I think about my sister who's an athlete. Whenever she gets beat, she doesn't like throw her racket and say, I'm done. I'm never playing again. That makes her try harder because she wants to keep winning. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's her psychology. But, you know, oftentimes, again, many people don't want to have to keep pushing through. So I've been trying to find a way to explain to people, look, this is an adventure, and I know that when you read your stories about, you know, uh, uh, about, about the great heroes and things, when they were going through parts of their adventure, it was terrible. But you still read that adventure because it, there's, there's some substance that that gives it. And so I try to encourage them to, how can you embrace the challenge of the adventure and make that the thing that is enjoyable? Okay, so that's the first bit. The, the thing I want to ask you, though, is psychologically, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that if we understood why we resist that psychologically, maybe that can help us. So psychologically, what do you think gets in the way of being able to, to look at life in that way or, or to. You, you ask great questions. So I, I again, I'm, I'm thinking in, in sort of doubles that I have two, two answers. One is um there's, there's a fundamental sort of human instinct, and the fundamental human instinct is to, to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. So the, the natural, and I think that's part of what has probably kept the human race alive vis-a-vis -vis the process of evolution. So right. it's not a bad thing, but I think at a certain point in one's psychological and spiritual development, you have to be willing to embrace the reality of discomfort. Uh, just using your sister as an example, we, we watch athletes um, when they're having a peak performance and we say how wonderful that is. But, and your sister, I'm sure does this, we don't see all the hours of sacrifice and training that they went through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, order, in order to have that, that peak performance when everything comes together and what's true below is true above what's true it's it's true in just all of our human endeavors and it's true in our spiritual endeavors that uh, there is a level of sacrifice and if you break the word sacrifice down it's interesting it means to make sacred but there's a level of sacrifice involved in transformation <coughs> and it's Again, I think that there's this subtle seduction that the purpose of meditation in the spiritual life is to is to be in a constant state of bliss. And it's kind of true, but it's not the whole story. That that part of what the spiritual life is all about is to grow that divine seed within us. And that divine seed doesn't grow without resistance. It just when astronauts go up into space, when they first were going up into space and, and, were, and they were in weightlessness, when they came back, what, what the medical officials discovered is that their bones and their muscles atrophied because there was no resistance, there was no gravity. Now, when they go into space, they have them exercise in some way, shape or form so that there's some resistance. So, what I'm saying is I think we only, the light of the soul can only shine in an optimal way when there is some periodic resistance. And, you know, when I look at my own life, all of my leap, my, my big leap, leap, all of my leaps of, of spiritual growth and transformation I have to think this through, whether it's always, but seem to always unfold within some context of challenge or crisis. And once we, again, just accept that, then it almost becomes, well, it becomes an adventure and you can almost make it fun. <laughs> you know, um, when there's a challenge in front of me that I always say this to people, the quality of our questions determines the quality of our lives. And so, when there's a challenge in front of me, rather than saying, oh, why is this happening to me? 
etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I try to say, okay, how can I solve this problem, and how can I enjoy the process of solving it? How can I make it an adventure? How can I make it something of grace? And one more piece, you know, in Patanjali Sutras, it talks about surrender to God and and. It, you know, when Jesus had his dark night in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, as you wish, or thy will be done. I translate that as you wish. It, I think it helps people to know that if you're trying to do the right thing in the midst of your challenges, if you're trying to live a noble life, if you're trying to do the will of God, so to speak, then at least my own experience is there's an intuitive knowing that all of the evolutionary forces in creation kind of line up behind you so that it's not just this little egoic person called Craig, that I'm part and parcel of this grand narrative. I'm part and parcel of the evolutionary process and all of the creative forces in creation really do become the wind at our back when we are trying to do what is noble, what is good, what is true, what is loving that helps me through it. Yeah. And as you were talking that, that brought up uh, another idea that, um, and when you're talking about the training that athletes do, when, when you see them doing wonderfully, you know, oftentimes we forget that they've been working at it for a long time, or even musicians, it's easy to say, oh, they're just such a phenomenal musician, when really many people forget that they've probably spent eight hours a day for the last 20 years being able to do that. Um, that's the same thing when we look at people who are uh, skillful in yoga and meditation or, or are our favorite yoga teachers or, or spiritual teachers. Oftentimes we forget that they've been working at that for a long, long time. And uh, another idea that came up was um, the preparation aspect. Well, as yogis, that's why we have the yamas and niyamas and the idea of brahmacharya. You know, we can, if we're, if we're practicing the yamas and the niyamas, particularly brahmacharya, dedicating every, every ounce of time, of resource towards uh, spiritual realization, well, then as we go through our life, which is our spiritual practice, we will then have the energy, the reserves, the skill, the strength to actually handle it when something needs handled, when something takes uh, more of our adventurous spirit. Yeah. What I like to say to people and to myself is that every time I sit in meditation, for example, it's like depositing money in the bank. Every time I read the scriptures, whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or the Gospels, I am somehow making a deposit in my spiritual reserve uh, every act of, you know, tapas, self-discipline, I am, I am making a deposit in my spiritual reserve so that when a challenge comes up, I can draw on that wisdom, that grace, that insight to, to navigate through it. Right. And when, when I think about people in general, you know, just the population, and when I see people becoming extremely stressed out or troubled or anxious or depressed at the slightest thing. Um, it often makes me consider that, well, how, how are they living their lives or, or, or what, what traumas or difficulties have they experienced that they have not brought some conscious awareness to or addressed or, or tried to heal or work through? Because it's as if um, in, in, when I see this, it's, it's as if they, they don't have the reserves because they've, they've been sort of not directing their attention in ways that will help them be strong, which I think is what the spiritual practice can do. Yes. And you, you, I think implicitly you're bringing up a really good point. Uh, you know, probably my favorite psychologist is Carl Jung. And, and he, he talked about the necessity of looking at your shadow. Mm. That, that part of you that you don't, it's not necessarily some part of you that's bad. Mm. It's just some part of you that you don't want to look at for whatever reason. And if you don't look at it, then it will come out sideways in some sort of self-destructive way, typically. And I think part of the, the spiritual process is looking at your own shadow. If you go to the autobiography of a yogi, 
the years that Yogananda spent in Sri Yukteswar's hermitage. It wasn't always easy because Sri Yukteswar was holding up a mirror. And I think to a certain extent, Yogananda did that with Roy Eugene Davis. Mm -hmm. He was holding up a mirror because what can often happen is, yes, something will happen in the world and we have this we have something in us that we haven't resolved or we haven't looked at and, and it triggers us. Um, yeah, I'll give you an example. When Vicki and I were first married, she said this to me and right away I intuitively knew it was true. She said, why do you have to be angry to speak your truth? Can't you just speak your truth without being angry? And it was like, whoa, this whole sort of world, inner world opened up to me that I knew I had to explore. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's, it's a really big one. I'm still mad. I'm not quite at the end of the journey with it yet. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, always being angry is always something bad. There's a place, I think, for passionate truth. But yeah. she opened the door to something inside of me that I had to explore that. Why do I have to be angry in order to speak my real truth? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Um, Otherwise, something you know, it would be always being triggered by something on the outside. Right. One of the first things I go to within myself is if something's really triggering me and I'm, I have a strong reaction, even if there's something objectively of concern, what's my inner reaction saying about me? Right, right. And when you... When you work with people or for yourself, uh, the idea uh, of faith—how, how can, how do you, or how can you encourage people to have faith when they're going through, when they're wrestling with God and very important things? Uh, how do you speak to them in that regard? And and I don't—I'm asking because I don't have a good answer for that because my 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 answer is always. Well, you just keep persisting and eventually, eventually you either make it through the end or you won't. <laughs> well, so. well, I actually, I think, Ryan, that's a, that's a great answer. I want a great, that's a great answer right there. And I'm going to, again, answer this at, at, at different levels. Um, and I'm going to go to a very spiritual movie here. Okay. It's the first Rocky movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and when I was in college, Rocky One came out. I think I was a junior in college. And this will say something about me psychologically, but I, I saw the movie 14 times. I would go to the movie theater. But the scene that spoke to me the most was at the end of, and I know it's a violent metaphor, but just stay with me. At the, at the end, the 14th round, Apollo Creed knocks him down for the last time. Apollo Creed turns around, thinks he won the fight. And even Rocky's people in the corner saying, stay down, stay down. I almost tear up sometimes when I tell this. And all of a sudden, Apollo Creed turns around and there's Rocky all bluttered and battered saying, bloodied and battered and saying, we're not done yet. Come on. And there's something about that that just speaks to me that I get knocked down sometimes by life. But there's something maybe about being a spiritual warrior. And I know people don't like bringing those two metaphors together or making that but there's something about being a spiritual warrior where you're saying, I, I'm just, I'm not going to quit. I, I'm going to get back up. And I may swear at God. I may argue with God, but that's okay. Cause you're still praying. <laughs> you know, when you're right. cursing God, you're still praying. Right. Um, it's not that it always looks pretty, but there is something about being the, um, you know, the, the spiritual warrior. And the other thing that came to me to quote another very spiritual source it's a line from a bruce springsteen song (laughs) um and at the end of the day you have to find a reason to believe Mm -hmm. and so for me sometimes it's just the choice even though i can't make sense of this in this moment uh it's not what i want to be happening i'm somehow going to trust it's all part of the evolutionary process right and that everything is unfolding within this ocean of cosmic consciousness. Right. And, and sometimes that's just a choice. Right. 
Yes, I understand. Um, the, so one thing I want to talk about uh, is the idea of arguing with God first. But before we go there, um, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. So those of you in the uh, live uh, online audience, we have one comment that we'll speak to as we finish up. But if you have any questions um, that you want to ask before we conclude, please go ahead and type them in the chat box, and then I'll, I'll, I'll field them to, to Isha Das. Um, so I do want to talk about arguing with God, but I liked the, your description of the story of, of the Rocky movie because, you know, when I was younger, I would always have this idea of, well, if I just meditate enough, if I just pray enough, if I just do enough yoga, then everything is going to fall into place. And as life went on, that helped me internally understand in a way why maybe a little bit of why things happen. I don't have any idea the bigger picture, but it gave me a little bit more insight and maybe a little more faith. But as life went on, uh, it felt like what was happening was I decided that, you know what, world, you can keep kicking me in the head, but because I'm stubborn and I'm not yes. going to let you, I'm not going to let you win. <laughs> yes. I'm not, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit meditating. I'm not going to quit studying the yoga sutras. You could keep doing it, but <laughs> So that story reminded me of, of how that, that yes. began to be an inspiration for me too. <laughs> yes, no, it, it is true. And what I am growing to appreciate is this concept of spiritual will. And it's different than egoic will. Egoic will is it's a constriction. It's a contraction. But there's this phenomenon, and I'm not, again, I don't completely understand it. There's this phenomenon of the spiritual will. And I, 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 don't, I, I can't explain it, but it's in those moments when I don't want to get up off the canvas, you know, I, I don't, I, something and says, no, you, you're a yogi. You can't, you can't give up. Right. You can't bury your head in the sand. And, and, you know, whenever I, whether it's Roy Eugene Davis, that never was in Yogananda's presence, physical presence, but I could imagine what it's like, or Richard Rohr, <laughs> they had this immense level of, I call it spiritual will. And again, it's not, it's not egoic will. It's not, you know, forcing things, but it's, it, it's a strength. Right. Um, and I think it can only, that spiritual will can only develop in part when we go through trials and tribulations. Right. Uh, and, but I think the gift is that as we develop that spiritual will, it, then it's with us for all eternity. Mm -hmm. you right. go to the whole story of i love the whole story of arjuna and krishna you know he wanted to put down the the, the bow and arrow which i you could be a metaphor for a spiritual practice it could be a metaphor for prayer it could be a meta metaphor for spiritual will and krishna says no you can't <laughs> you know he actually you know he says be a man pick pick it pick it up right and so there is this reality of the spiritual will. And again, whenever I've been around anybody that I perceive to be um, spiritually aware and awake, um, they have it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a quality that you can experience. Right. You can sense. I agree. I agree with that. That's uh, I don't know where it comes from, <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't come, it doesn't come from us as in the ego. You know, yeah. it's not a macho thing. It's just, right. but somehow we have to say yes to it. Mm -hmm. And every step we take, it's like more energy comes to us, but we have to take the step. Yes. Yes. That, again, that reminds me of, of um, uh, one of my friends, a wonderful astrologer. <clears throat> he would always say when he was teaching that people come to astrology because they want to know, uh, they want to know you know, what the right choice is. And they want to know what, what, what God thinks the right choice is. That's what he would say. And he would always follow up and say, uh, the only way you'll know what the right choice, God will let you know once you make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's, I think that's true. And then secondly, what I tell people is making a conscious choice, not a habitual choice, not, not, not just an impulse, but making a conscious choice is spiritual practice yeah right exactly yes it exactly. is it is spiritual practice yeah and that leads me to my my final uh question thought uh for you today again kind of bringing it back to the theme of of wrestling with god and, and you use the idea of arguing with god and i i've 
I've seen or heard and experienced people who it seems like when it comes to their prayer or when it comes to their communion, they want to make sure it's like calm and peaceful and, and merciful. And, <laughs> and, and I've, I've, I used to think that too, but there was a point in time where I just decided, you know what, I'm going to tell God exactly what I think. Yes. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to yep. hold back. I'm just going to say, look, buddy, like this is ridiculous. And I would use foul language and I would speak out loud and I would cry. And I would just, because obviously if he's God, he's going to, he's going to get what I'm trying to, to say here. So I guess my question to you is, um, yeah, that, how do you, how do you feel about that? What, what do you think about that kind of approach to prayer as well? Oh, I, I, I'm in absolute agreement with you. I'll, I'll tell you what freed me up a little bit. Uh, he's a Christian mystic, Valentin Tomberg, and he was talking about, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I always saw that, oh, he was in a moment of despair. And Tomberg said he was wrestling with despair, but he was actually praying. <laughs> Um, that was a prayer. So that kind of freed me up to be real. And there are times when I, I'm angry and there are times I don't understand. And this is the paradox that what always happens, almost always happens after I have one of these arguments with God, my heart opens and there's some level of peace that comes because I was being real. I wasn't I wasn't being well-behaved. I wasn't following some sort of mental picture of how a spiritual person is supposed to behave or not. It was like, okay, I'm just keeping it real. And I'm God, I'm telling you, Yogananda, Roy, whomever I'm talking to that particular day, I'm just telling you what's alive inside of me and I have to be real. It creates a flow. It creates some kind of connection. And, and so, um, well, you know, there's a, read this from Yogananda once, he said that sometimes he'll say to God, you had no business creating this nest of troubles. Right. But then he goes on to say, but it's just, we're just having a lover's quarrel. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know, what's, well, we say this, what's true below is true above. If, you know, I, I think with Vicki and I, there are sometimes that we have to have tough conversations with each other, but that always brings us to a deeper level of intimacy. Right. And so I think that's with the spiritual life, that's with the divine. We have to be real with God. And somehow the more real we are with God, with the divine, the more real divine becomes for us. Yes, yes. And just to be clear, those of you who are listening, um, you know, the ideas that we're discussing here, the ideas of wrestling with God, again, the, the key theme of um, uh, Isha Das's podcast, which I encourage you to, to check out, that we're talking about situations where you kind of have to be this way. Yeah. We're not necessarily talking about going through life as though everything is a struggle because it's not always a struggle <laughs> and, and yeah. it is perfectly fine to appreciate life. But we, we in my experience, I think, yeah, you I think you'll, you'll agree with this, that, you know, uh, what was that statement that, that Flaheria Mahasaya made, or maybe it was Sri Kishwar, It was, you know, if you don't come to God if you don't invite God in the winter months, he's not going to come in the summer either. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was Lahiri Mahashai who said that. Yeah. And so I think my, my goal with this discussion is to encourage people to realize that in that struggle, in the wrestling, in trying to figure out the stuff that you just are just confounded about, that that is, all, that is as much your spiritual path as is those times when you're just absolutely aware of pure consciousness and meditation and nothing could be perverse in the world, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll just, I know you want to close. Let me just say this simply. It's, it's one of these paradoxes. The more that I find in my life that I accept that life is imperfect, there are going to be struggles and dark moments, the more I appreciate the good moments. So going back to just Thanksgiving a few days ago, sitting with 18 wonderful people, having wonderful food, I just thought, this is a perfect moment. And not to grab onto it, but it, it, so when you embrace the dark side, you actually appreciate the light side, the light grace more. Right. So right. it's not either or, it's both and. You appreciate more of the good moments. Yes. And before we get to those those questions and those comments, what you just mentioned, uh, do you have time for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I got, I got time. Okay, we'll just take it a little further. 
Um, one of the things that I uh, have been curious about um, is I think oftentimes people experience guilt when they're when they when they're in a positive situation. Like let's take for example the idea of Thanksgiving, which just happened a few days ago as of the recording of this podcast. You know, many people are having more food than they can ever dream of eating. They are with people that are loving and supportive. They're not cold out on the streets. They're not in a war-torn situation. I think a lot of people when they get in those or they're not, you know, in some uh, really difficult health crisis and when they get in those situations, it's as if they can't fully appreciate that goodness around them. When in my mind, if that person who is profoundly ill and sick, if that person who is in the war-torn situation, if that person who is uh, cold on the street, if they were given the opportunity to have this, they're not going to say, oh, no, please. You understand what I'm yes. throwing out there? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would even take it a step further that by enjoying those moments it makes me a bigger and better person <laughs> so mm -hmm. that when i encounter people who are suffering i actually have more to give them mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. yeah, so those, those, those joyful moments are to be celebrated but they're not just for us because i think they make us bigger and better they expand our hearts so that when we're with people who are suffering we can we can we have something to give them yes yes i don't think it could be said any better than that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you thank you oh you're welcome you're welcome so let me look at uh, two. We have two questions. That's very good. Um, the first one, and this is more of a, a statement. Um, it's been a challenge for me and for many people, it seems, to not impose my expectations on reality and just accept it as it is. This is from Nick. So any, any thoughts on that about this idea of imposing you know, expectations on reality? I think that's a very honest statement. I think we all struggle with it. I think, Ryan, you and I are probably similar in this way, and I, I don't want to project that on you, is, you know, I have an idea of how the world should, re how the world should run and how people <laughs> should run their lives. Um, and every day I have to surrender that. And at the level of the ego, et cetera, I, I am not God. And, uh, and the ego really doesn't know anything, period. And so... It's something I wrestle with, and my approach is just to continually surrender that to God and to remember that everybody's on their own journey, and we don't know how all the parts fit together, past life, this life, future lives. Everybody's on their own journey, and in the moment of their journey, they are experiencing what they need to experience in order to evolve in the way they need to evolve. So it's really about letting go of judgments. But that's not easy because I'm, again, for me, I'm by nature, I'm always making judgments. But right. I also recognize to let go of the judgments and let, let life unfold as it wants to unfold in people's lives. Yeah. How do you recommend that they do that? So let's say moment by moment, if we're doing this razor's edge, and there's a situation where there's an expectation for reality to be a certain way. And then there is the understanding, which you know, Nick is expressing the, the, the awareness there that, well, that's not really going to be helpful uh, in, in an experiential way. Do you have any recommendations of how to just, just be well, okay with it? <laughs> yeah, it's again walking the razor's edge here. What I try to do is what Yogananda said, you know, what you experience in meditation, take with you into activity. So what that means for me is, I try to stay awake and aware and present in, in each moment in my life. I try to avoid going to just a reactive place. Right. So that allows me to watch and not just immediately react. And you can learn to do this. I, I kind of pull inside and it's, I'm talking about something that can happen in a millisecond and either consciously or just unconsciously ask the question, what is the most loving and intelligent thing I can do in this moment? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is saying to somebody, I don't think that's a healthy choice, but it's not a reactive. It's, you know, it's the right thing to say, but most of the time it's, it's not. Most of the time the response is, 
just be a loving presence. Yes. And if yes. somebody asks you a question, give an honest answer. You know, they're not talking about. But it's it's staying it's staying awake and aware and not going into that reactive mind, the reactive ego, and and really kind of holding some sort of intention of what is the most intelligent and loving thing I can do in this moment. Yeah, good, good. And the next question, um, if we, this is from Sia, uh, if we choose wisely in this dream of life, could we reduce the friction or intensity of friction? Is it possible that life would be easier by practicing spirituality? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think I meant to say this before. I'm glad that you, this question is being asked because I think it's a really good question. We have to do some self-examination. Am I creating the friction because of some attitude, some habit, some pattern in my life? Or is the friction just a part of, of the growth uh, that I must go through? And it, that goes back to having some self-knowledge, looking at your shadow. I, I know when I'm creating the drama in my life most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I know when the drama is coming to me. Right. Um, so you have to be will you have to have a level of self-knowledge to know when you're creating the drama. So therefore, by meditating and by looking into yourself, expanding your, your awareness, living in, in accordance with the Yamas and the Niyamas you reduce unnecessary friction and unnecessary drama. Right. And so, I don't know, an image popped up in my mind, and this is not to take this metaphor or analogy too far, but it's, it could be likened to, um, you know, if you have a tree by your house, maybe you want to get it trimmed so the branches don't fall in your house. But if a hurricane comes through and blasts the tree through your house, well, that's not something that you really could have <laughs> done yes. anything about. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great analogy. That's a great. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, that was. Um, those are the only two comments and questions we had. So that's that's. Uh, we must have been very clear. Let's see. Is there another one? Okay. Here we go. Can you expand a bit about conscious choice? Sometimes I have two voices in my head or my body. I find difficulty to distinguish between God's voice or my conditioned ego voice. There we go. That's a good one. Wow. That's a great question. In fact, it's funny. I've been talking a lot about this, this at the Assisi Institute the last month or two. The egoic voice. Well, first of all, let me make an, an obvious statement. Uh, the ego, God's voice, the voice of the soul, the voice of legitimate conscience is never going to tell me to go kill somebody, murder somebody, do something that is obviously wrong. But all right, that's simple. Yes. For me, the egoic voice, I'll say it two ways. There's always some kind of critical energy to it, some sort of critical spirit. And uh, almost a in, can be, in its extreme form, a shaming voice. Mm -hmm. And there's also a sense of constriction with it, where the voice of God, the voice of the soul, the voice of the, the legitimate conscience, it always has a resonance of truth to it. Even if it's a hard truth, it, it still feels good. It feels right. It feels smooth, maybe. It, Yes, there's it, it, it. You just it's an intuition of it. Just okay. This is this is right. Even if it's difficult, it's right, and and there is a sense of peace with it. Again, not always without struggle, but there's a sense it's of peacefulness and rightness to it, and it doesn't constrict the mind and the heart. It it expands it ultimately. All right. The, the difficulty, though, which I think many people might experience is the, the <clears throat> attachment to hoping that if we listen to that, that divine voice, that that's going to lead to exactly what we wanted. <laughs> yes. Y you know, <laughs> and that's yes. not always the case. <laughs> no, it's not always the case. And, and um, I, I think if we're really in touch with the divine voice, it will periodically take us where we don't want to go, but where we need to go in order to evolve. Right. Right. Um, yeah. 
but it, again, what I say to people, it the soul has the soul's voice has the scent of truth, beauty, and goodness. Mm-hmm. You and recognize ease. it. Yes, ease, there, right? there's an e- yes. That's a great word. That's what I was yeah. looking for. That's a better. There's an ease to it, and it, 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 there's just a rightness to it and an right. ease to it. Where, for me, the voice of the ego always has some sort of constricting, shaming, complicating. Like tension, uh, like stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. There's a tension to it. Yeah. Um, yes. Like a, what's the word? Um, mm, like, like something has to be done right now. Like what's that? There, there's a, um, like you have to make the choice right now or it's going to go completely wrong. Like that, yes, that kind yes, of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a word for that. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But yeah. <laughs> urgency. There's an urgency. Yes. It's, it's like it's too urgent. <laughs> well, it's, and it's like then it becomes like a compulsion. Exactly. Yes. 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 Well, good. Um, Well, uh, Craig, uh, Isha Das, uh, I really appreciate you you taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much, Brian. It's it's always 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 a pleasure, and I I just want to say this. I want your list of people that listen to you to know that I think you're a wonderful teacher and you're gifted, and the world needs your ministry. (laughs) I'm 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 thanking you. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I would, I say the exact same thing to you, you know, every time that I've, I've been with you and we spent time together and um, listened to you talk at the ACC Institute, it's been just a wonderful experience. And, um, and, and being with Vicki as well, that was also yeah. quite, quite, quite important. Well, you know, um, I always say to people at the ACC Institute, I'm the bluster and she's the luster. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well uh before i let you go you know you did start this podcast recently um uh, wrestling with god and so um i guess they can search for that uh if they they go to the cc institute website in rochester new york um there's there should be a link there if you go to each you go to youtube isha das this wrestling with god it should come up on youtube Mm -hmm. good so Excellent. Well, again, it was wonderful. And I look forward to speaking with you again. And and maybe uh, next summer or so, once we finally get around to planning, having another uh, week-long retreat together. Well, I hope it's not maybe. I hope, God willing, I hope we can make it happen. Oh, we can make it happen. I think we just have to find the uh, uh, the, the date for it. Yes. Yeah. And and so just so you know, the month of July is pretty wide open and so is August right now. So we can make it happen. Okay. And those of you who are listening, hopefully this will come out in time. Uh, yeah. Isha Das and I are, are planning on doing uh, a week-long uh, Kriya Yoga retreat um, at the ACC Institute in, in Rochester. So um, it'd be wonderful to have you join us if you're able. All right. Well, thank you very much. It was wonderful Namaste. to have you. Namaste. Give, give my best uh, to Jasmine. Will do. Same thing to Vicki. So be well. Right. Blessings. Take care. See you later, everybody. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.